Hey everybody, this is Brian Ortega, a former concierge in the City of Sin, and this is Concierge Confidential, a podcast show where we dive into the tips, tricks, and secrets, and how to use them when visiting the city of Las Vegas. I'll be joined by a cast of characters from around the city who have worked as bartenders, go-go dancers, cocktail waitresses, and everyone else that makes this city tick. The mission behind Concierge Confidential is to share tips and stories from my life as a Las Vegas concierge. I'll even give you some of my experiences after visiting restaurants and hotspots throughout the week and might even give some ratings here as well. We will cover different topics from our favorite restaurants, nightclubs, lounges, and maybe even go over some do's and don'ts when visiting Las Vegas. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our peek inside Las Vegas with Concierge Confidential. Welcome to Box Office Bets. I'm Brian Ortega with Tom Cunningham. We're here to break down probably the uh, winner of this year's best picture, uh, Oppenheimer. So uh, we thought we would do this one pretty early on just because it's definitely going to be one that's measured up against all bunch of other films. And we just really need to just hit it. So um, it's also part of the phenomenon that was 2023, which was Barbenheimer, which we'll talk <laughs> about Barbie another day. And this is a, a really, really popular film, even that it, even though it was a three hour movie, a lot of talking, but it does have Christopher Nolan at the helm. So we'll be talking about Oppenheimer today and where it stacks up in the Academy Awards race in the early markets and where we think it will do damage going on uh, later in the award season. So, Tom, it's good to see you. Welcome to the, um, uh, the second episode for this particular yes. uh, iteration and uh, a much better uh, introduction, much more crisp. A little, dare I say, more professional uh, oh as well. So good job, Brian. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, I, I listen to a lot of hosts all day. So <laughs> I, I just sports movies and my dog. That's all I have time for these days, especially this time of the season. So, Tom, it's a really busy time in the fall, but this movie came out all the way back in summer. And we've talked back and forth about where this movie ranks in terms of how good it is. Uh, some people may not feel that is as, you know, receiving the acclaim that it should some of us like myself are really high on Oppenheimer even going as far as saying it's going to win every single award at the Oscars that it's going to be nominated in as we've gotten more movies that have coming out or have come out I have kind of fallen back on that I think it's not going to perform as good in a couple acting categories as I thought but um what were your uh, thoughts on Oppenheimer when you saw it uh, my thoughts was that it's probably going to win best picture. Uh, you know me. I, th I still think Spider-Man is the picture. So sure. for me, I think, you know, Spider-Man being animated, I think it makes Oppenheimer even more of a lock, if that makes sense, sure. uh, because they just don't do well at the Oscars. I think a lot's going right for Oppenheimer. Now, there's some things, you know, as you mentioned, some movies coming out past, uh, not past lives, poor things mm -hmm. is one um and then i think the other would probably be killers of the flower moon which was already out so i think it does have some you know some contenders to deal with but you know for the odds that you're getting right now for best picture as i pull them up here uh let's see what are they minus 125 yeah i think that's fine with DraftKings minus 125 i think i'd probably put a ticket on it because it will probably get more expensive uh, as the months yeah. go on even if poor things comes out and does well you know, I don't think it's enough to derail um, kind of what Oppenheimer has been able to do this year. I know we've sat here and we've talked about in the past how the Academy would like to also probably reward uh, movies that got people to the theaters. Yeah. Outside of Barbie, uh, I would argue Oppenheimer probably did that better than any movie. So there's a lot to like about Oppenheimer. Um, with that said, I think it's the, I know you think it's the best movie of the year. I have it as number two right now, yeah. but uh, I do think that taking it for best picture at minus value um, right now is warranted. So yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I think, uh, and look, you mentioned all the categories yeah. that it could get yeah, uh, trophies for, you know, I see it getting at least 12, 13 nominations. So it should yeah. dominate the Oscars. Yeah. And I agree. Like I wrote about this, like when it came out, uh, I had seen it a couple times. I've actually since seen it four times now. Four, so yeah. four is like the magic number. I think I'm good on the fourth time. I did like, 
go to the bathroom and like get out of my seat. Uh, but <laughs> I have seen it four times and I have to say, uh, I agree with you. T- 12 to 13 nominations is not out of the question for Oppenheimer just because yeah. of all the crafts, all the acting, uh, the direction. There's so much that goes into it. The script um, that is based off of American Prometheus, which is a book about uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer. And again, I I really thought, think that this is a really important film more than just you know, being the best picture this year, but really sort of changing sort of the trajectory of where we think popular movies are. Uh, and I think that actually I read somebody, like somebody tweeted this out in a thread that you, when picking best picture, you don't really just look at, is that a good movie? Was that the best movie of the year? Because oftentimes the best movie of the year doesn't always win, but a movie that really encapsulates that time period of, you know, in terms of what's going on in the world right now with the war in Ukraine, um, the, the stuff with Russia about using nuclear weapons is really poignant, um, especially in this film that's about the creation of the atomic bomb, um, I think really speaks to what's going on in the world at the moment. So, But it is very rare where a movie like this that speaks to the moment, but also is really, really popular, uh, winning at the, at the Oscars really hasn't happened since you know the mid-90s, I would say. So yeah, w- minus 125. I mean, as long as I've been covering these, I've never seen a, a movie be at minus money this early in the process before even nominations come out well i'll say also a couple things so first of all oppenheimer i think it's going to get 13 nominations uh sitting here counting i think 13 is the number it's going to be um a few categories obviously like animated documentary best actress these are some categories that it's just not going to see a nomination in right um i think you know to be to be honest, look, minus one twenty five, I think again is okay to take for best picture. Um, but the thing with the last two Academy Awards is that the movie that has been favored, really before uh, months before the event started, hasn't won. Um, yeah. I don't. So I think there's a few reasons for that, but mainly for me, Oppenheimer doesn't really fall into the Fableman's category, and it doesn't really fall into Thirteen Lives, and it doesn't fall. You know, even Parasite upset 1917 a few years ago. I don't think Oppenheimer falls into 1917's category. To me, Oppenheimer is way stronger in its position as a current favorite than the past few years have been. Power of the Dog was another one. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, so to me, you look at the Power of the Dog, you look at the Fablemans, you look at 13 Lives, you look at 1917. These are all movies that were favored months entering the Oscars or right before the Oscars started. Uh, like Coda didn't even flip to minus value until probably that Saturday before the Oscars. Yeah. And, and and the same with everything everywhere all at once that kind of flipped maybe a week before the Oscars. My whole thing is that everything everywhere all at once and Coda didn't really have to go up against such a juggernaut. Like exactly. And, and not only that, a juggernaut to Killers of the Flower Moon, which I think is absolutely excellent. Barbie, the holdovers, which we talked about already. And then, you know, not for nothing an animated movie that could make history. So there's a lot here that I think everything everywhere all at once and Coda didn't have to go up against. Um, and, you know, for me, Oppenheimer is so strong that it's just, you know, demolishing these other movies we just named. So for me, Oppenheimer is really, really strong. I wouldn't worry about it too much that it's favored so early at minus value because um, I know that could steer betters away. I think minus 125 is cheap enough minus value because I, I can only see it growing from here to be. Yeah, because I remember when this market opened, I believe they opened it sometime in like July, which is extremely early. The earliest I've ever seen for Academy Award odds come out, at least in the States, it was at, I believe, plus 350, plus 400. And then once the movie started getting closer and closer, um, a lot of the critics started seeing it. They were able to review it. It really started to switch. And it was two to one until I would say about October. And then once, well, even September, um, it was about two to one yeah. with them and Killers of the Flower Moon. Killers of the Flower Moon came out, was received okay at the box office, but you know really well uh, critically acclaimed. But um, even the Killers of the Flower Moon hasn't moved off of the plus three thirty. So really, yeah. I think Oppenheimer is going to be very strong in the picture category. Yeah, for me, the movies that get more hype after they've been released, prior to them being released, tend to do well at the Academy Awards. I mean, you look at everything everywhere all at once that came out in March, and the hype train was still strong in October. That's yeah. impressive. Uh, that's tough to do. I think with Oppenheimer, there was a lot of hype before it. There's a lot of hype after it. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, there's a lot of hype before it. 
not a lot of hype after it. And I think yeah, that's kind of where it's going to fall short. It really has. And just, you have to look, kind of look at the, uh, at the, uh, the campaigns, how they did them. So yep. the good thing about Oppenheimer, it really helped that it came out before the SAG after strike. So they were really able to benefit off of doing a lot of the press before up until the summer. And then they had the movie come out. The movie kind of spoke for itself. We had the strike. And then now you have all of these sort of round tables and these uh, Q and A's with the actors after the SAG after strike. So they're really kind of benefiting having, you know, holding the conversation for the entire year where movies like Close of the Flower Moon really weren't able to capitalize on having Leo DiCaprio out there. It was just Scorsese doing all the campaigning for him. So we'll go yeah. ahead and move off of Best Picture and actually move into the Best Director category, which uh, is sort of natural here. Right, so, what I'm looking at right now. Of course, yeah. as we talk about Best Directors, Christopher Nolan is at the top. He's minus 200 which that just flipped today. I believe yeah. it was like minus 150, minus 110. It is now minus $2. I think it's now gone too far past where you'd want to get any yeah. value. But who do you think might be able to upend Christopher Nolan? And do you think he's deserving of having this top spot? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, he's deserving of it. Uh, minus 200 is too expensive, though. I'm not, I'm not paying that. Also because I, you know, great movie, job well done by Christopher Nolan, but I think there's a legit case to be made for a couple of these other names here. You look at Martin Scorsese, Killer of the, Killers of the Flower Moon. I actually have him ranked number one in sure. my uh, director rankings. Plus 250, I think that's perfectly fine to test. Um, the ensemble for, first of all, the ensemble for Oppenheimer was done very well. I, I tend to lean towards directors that, have to deal with an ensemble because it's more difficult you know like spielberg's west side story was really impressive to me uh sure. musicals are impressive to me for directors it's just a lot more to work with um yeah. which kind of goes to greta gerwig too at seven to one she was actually four digits not long ago I know, and right? so, wow. yeah to see it kind of jump she was below celine's song for past lives she's jumped her now at seven to one so um you know it seems like a leaky faucet and so you're gonna want <laughs> to grab uh grab a bucket make a wager on uh on Greta Gerwig before her she's I think she's gonna get nominated at this point I think so too like some people are leaving her off lists and I'm like why yeah. like the, the academy loves Greta Gerwig she's in she probably got people one of the to the theater also you mentioned 100 percent. and then it so this goes into like the narrative aspect of it how terrible would the academy look to not nominate the uh director who had the highest grossing film of yeah. the year and it's a female-driven film because you know exactly. it's, a, it's a female protagonist. So that would be absolutely terrible, but she 100% deserves just to get in on her own merit, not well, just because she's a woman or whatever. So. I know we're not talking about Barbie, but I, I've had this nightmare if like Gosling gets nominated, but not Margot Robbie. Like that, you know, <sighs> that might not go well with yeah. a lot of people, but it could happen. It could. Um, we'll, it could. I, yeah, yeah, 100%. Another, yeah. No, but yeah. On I director, think though. Yeah, right. I think Gerwig at seven to one. Um would be my top play in this market if i'm being honest with you yeah definitely i mean i would i don't hate it at plus you know plus 700 that's actually not a bad number you could have got it higher number. but you yeah. know plus 700 is not bad i think year goes latimas uh for poor things at plus 400 just because the movie hasn't come out yet we know it's sort of that unknown and a lot of this is sort of like the unknowns you kind of have to you know bet on which is kind of contradictory to what we do in sports betting but you get a lot of hype for poor things coming out. Everybody says they love it. Uh, so it's plus 400. You want to grab it before it goes down. So I think Yorgos Latima at plus 400. You like Greta Gerwig. I like that one, but it's hard because it's, you know, a comedy fantasy sort of film. But I mean, yeah, I, you, I, wouldn't, you, I wouldn't go against Greta Gerwig. She's we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about Gerwig uh, when we do Barbie's sure. breakdown. I, I think the, the name really being overlooked here is, is Scorsese. Um, for a lot of reasons, I think, you know, you've, br you've brought this up in the past that it could, this could be it for him, um, at the academies, you know, he might make another movie and it could or could not get nominated, but right. you know, this might be his like last big masterpiece. And yeah. I don't, I, before I saw killers of the flower, I mean, my first thought was that he getting a nomination would be enough by the Academy. Be like, all right, we've recognized Scorsese. Like, we're good. That was a damn good movie, though. And it was a lot of moving parts. It's a long story. Film editing becomes very important with that sort of film and storytelling. And for me, I think the plus 250 uh, is, is a good enough take right now. 
I'm not paying minus 200 for Nolan. No. Now, Nolan could go out there and win this award, and I don't yeah. think anyone would be surprised. But if you want to bet this market and, you know, you, you're going to have to swallow, bite the bullet per se, um, and swallow a big pill and hope Nolan doesn't get it because his value is gone and he's far too expensive for what is a tighter race um, than it might appear to be on paper. I agree with that because I think this is, like you said, this is a very tight race unless you're looking at the narrative that Nolan is one of those big directors that still has not won an Academy Award and everybody knows his work. People go to movies to see him. He's really a champion of um, films in movie theaters, which I'm sure hopefully the Academy takes that into account, at least for my sake. But uh, <laughs> he's one of those one of those people that is really a champion for like big format like IMAX. But I agree with you. The stuff that Martin Scorsese did in Killers of the Flower Moon Impressive. is nothing, you know, nothing less than, you know, amazing just because of the subject matter he's dealing with. He's never made, per se, a Western, which he doesn't call this a Western, but it kind of is. But he could have yeah, went out true. and made you know, a procedural sort of FBI story that whodunit, and halfway through looking at the, screen, the screenplay and you know, setting everything up, that he said, no, I want to tell this other story from Lily Gladstone's perspective. And I think he's commended for that. Obviously, you get a lot of people saying that, well, He's not Native American, so he can't make this film. Well, people aren't giving um, a lot of young directors the amount of money that they gave Martin Scorsese. But the way that he can get the best out of Robert De Niro, I think, is fantastic uh, directing. But people might ask, why is Christopher Nolan such a favorite in this category? Why One not? of it being the do factor, but also just the scale of what he's working with. And then also the layers upon layers of trying to figure out how to make nuclear physics and you know atomic science interesting to watch because as i just explained it i sort, really? of, sort of like nodded off but he makes it interesting and I, I mean he makes it an interesting film for three hours and then i just enjoy the whole practical effects part of it everything has he has his style as well and of course just the cast that he's able to to put together i think he had like three or four academy award winners in his cast that certainly helps making this film but again <laughs> Just speaking of best director, I think Scorsese is a good choice at plus 250. I think all the value is gone at minus 200. So in terms of the big categories, I might stay away from Christopher Nolan. I will be cheering for him to win because he's probably one of my favorite directors. But um, in terms of tickets, maybe Scorsese or Latimas for your money. We've talked about like a little bit about the hard work that some of these directors have put into the movies that they've made. And would you like to elaborate? on what Christopher Nolan did making a specific print of film for this, because I mean, that to me is kind of like, you know, I, I we've used the analogy before it's like, do it's like taking the test and then getting the bonus question, right. Or it's like doing the, you know, the extra credit work to get that extra to just to show the teacher that you're trying really hard. And I think that's what Nolan did here. Yeah, 100%. So uh, we're talking about the, the fact that he films everything in IMAX for one. So IMAX, it's IMAX film. So there's IMAX and IMAX film. So the film itself is huge. So it sort of looks like double the size, but this is 70 millimeter IMAX, which is even bigger. But then he wanted to film parts of it in black and white, which IMAX does not actually have uh, black and white film prints. So they actually had to create the actual film print to f- be IMAX in black and white, which... I mean, when you're starting to create things for your movies, I think it's unbelievable. And they even pushed it to the brink of being a three-hour IMAX movie. I believe it holds the record for the longest IMAX feature film uh, in film print in IMAX 70 millimeter. Um, They actually said, I think in an interview, they couldn't make it any longer because they don't actually have plates (laughs) that they can put the film on to sit there. So it's it's, it's unbelievable. So just going about creating new ways or creating new ways to 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 show this medium is is unbelievable so yeah and um, then the point we've always brought up uh real quick uh is that he got people to the theater and you know i would argue you know following the pandemic it's been real tough to get people to go back into a movie theater and i think barbie heimer that entire event was probably the biggest probably the biggest weekend movie event in that man it could be it could be close to a decade brian i mean it it was big so I actually did the Barbenheimer thing where I went and did both the movies and (laughs) it was like being a movie lover just in the same day you did it in the same day Yeah, so I did in the same day so just seeing the amount like a two day yeah the amount of people that wanted to experience that 
that whole moment was actually amazing. was awesome. I just loved seeing that people were going to the movies and people have a thirst for this. And I think there's going to be a credit to Barbenheimer in the years coming that really these movies, how do you get people to the movie theater? Make them events. You have to make these things events to go to. And you can dress up, do the whole thing. I mean, people are doing Taylor Swift and Beyonce and they're dressing up and doing whatever. So I think that's what you have to make it. So I think that's a big deal. So yeah, make it fun. Getting, getting back to the awards here, let's jump into the big categories. So best actor. So let's jump into the best actor category where Cillian Murphy wow, is his favorite. Yeah, at minus 135. He was minus uh, 125 earlier. So Oh, boy. So people didn't like Bradley coming up. So kind of kind of interesting. I think this is actually going to be a tougher race than people might think. Uh, it's sort of a sneaky sort of category. So Cillian Murphy at minus 135, and the next closest person is Bradley Cooper for Maestro. So what did you think of Cillian Murphy's uh, his actual performance, and do you think it you know garnishes that favorite uh, spot? Yeah, he's winning. Um, as far as I'm concerned, he's winning. I'll, yeah, we'll get to Maestro when you know it releases, but as far as I'm concerned, he's he's the guy to catch right now and pass. Now Coleman Domingo, very good in Rustin, uh, warrants a nomination. Um, Barry Kiagan, botch yeah. that name um, from Saltburn. I think he also is probably going to get nominated. Probably won't win. We brought up Paul Giamatti during the holdovers. Um, he's now 850. I just think it's tough for me to see any of them pass Murphy at this point. And, you know, minus 135, he's clearly moving. He was minus 125, so the odds have dropped already. I think if you wait much longer, if you wait till the end of the month, um, you're probably going to lose the value. I mean, it's a lot like Nolan's director odds. He's at minus 200. I think Murphy's heading in that direction. I don't see anyone passing him. I think he's the clear-cut standout for best actor right now, you know, going through rankings. The thing we both have talked about with Leo, um, I forget if it was recorded or not, is that he may have given the third best performance in that movie, yeah. um, Killers of the Flower Moon. So I actually don't, you know, he could win, sure, but I don't consider him as big of a threat as his name might have you believe he is. So I look through these names. Uh, I've reviewed a lot of these. Maestro is, is the big one. And then obviously Kingsley Benadir for Bob Marley, One Love. That's supposed to be really good. Late release date, though. We talked about how sometimes that does hurt some of these contenders also add the fact that, you know, Benadir is going up against some real, real, real threats and heavyweights. So right. uh, I honestly think Murphy is an easy um, pick right now to win best actor. Easy. Yeah. The only person I really see sort of maybe challenging him is Bradley Cooper or Colin Domingo, which they're two and three essentially on the odds board, just because Bradley Cooper is, playing a person well i guess they're both playing people but he's playing um uh bernstein which he had to sort of change how he looked he had to do a lot of like makeup and prosthetics and he also directed the film and i think that might you know play well for him but again cillian murphy's in almost every shot of this movie and really having to transform from being young uh oppenheimer to old oppenheimer and really going through that sort of change of how he feels about nuclear energy and how he feel he has to play kind of in the middle because that's sort of how Oppenheimer was, was he wasn't, you know, never apologized for dropping the bomb, but always seemed sort of melancholic about how it um, affected people and how it affected the rest of the world. So I think Cillian Murphy's in the right spot. Um, wouldn't make any bets right now, unless you're going to be betting on Cillian Murphy. I wouldn't bet on anything yet until we get some nominations or when Maestro comes out for Bradley. Yeah, because, so. you know, I don't I don't mind Kyogen and I don't mind Giamatti with the 8-1 to one and plus 8.50 odds. I just don't think they're going to win. I think yeah. they're going to get nominated, and I just don't think they're going to win. And then I look at Coleman Domingo. It's kind of the same thing, only you're getting shorter odds. I think he's, his performance in Rustin was good enough to get nominated, but to actually lift the hardware. Like there wasn't really that one moment in the movie where you're like, that's, that's what, the, that's the clip they're going to show at the academy. Like that's the, that's the thing I've said in the past, the thing for me that I, I thought gave Angela the set um, the nomination and she got a one award win for black Panther Wakanda forever. It was that speech she gave when her daughter went missing that hit hard. And I think for me, 
you know, there wasn't a moment in Saltburn, there wasn't a moment in Rustin where I thought, okay, this is the speech that's going to give the actor the award. Sure. I think there was that for Giamatti and the holdovers. Yes. But I'm telling you, Murphy to me uh, is just the clear cut favorite in that regard. The perform and you mentioned he's in every shot for a yeah. three hour movie. Um, so yeah, the the endurance <laughs> and the oh, duration. Yeah, 100%. yeah the yeah. weight put on time on ice. Yeah. <laughs> give it, give it exactly. a Murphy. Exactly. But it's so funny though, because like uh who was I watching? I was watching the actors on actors with Cillian Murphy and um Margot Robbie, and they're like, yeah, I actually like playing the uh, supporting character because being the lead is a lot more weight. You can't really do a, a lot, lot of work. crazy. It's like, that's so funny that two lead actors are like, yeah, it's actually better to be a supporting actor than it is to be the lead, but I'm sure the money is quite different. So yes, that's um, true. No, no actress uh, nominations possible uh, just because uh, Emily Blunt is probably going to be into Best Supporting Actress, which I think is the correct place to put that particular oh, role. Absolutely. Even yeah. though she's a lead, but you know, She's a lead actress, but this is a, a supporting character, obviously. So let's move on to the more interesting category, which is best supporting actor, which is we think like a two horse race, maybe a three horse race, but um, maybe a four horse of, race, know, depending, right? depending on maybe, Charles Melton over that's here. That's true. It's maybe the Battle of the Roberts, where Robert Downey Jr. is the favorite at minus one twenty five now over Robert De Niro, who is plus three hundred at the moment. So. Um, how'd you think so, of, how'd you think his performance came by, uh, came through it? And it was it kind of fun watching Iron Man turn into an old politician, uh, oof. and be kind of like the, uh, the villain of half of this story. Yeah. And believe it or not, I think the last time Downey Jr. got nominated for, uh, an Academy Award for an acting role, I believe it was Tropic Thunder, um, which you know might That's be true. best supporting actor as That's well. Right. So, you know, him being here this very different role <laughs> and a very different very different movie uh tropic thunder tropic thunder actually really did a good job in terms of satire and um it was great like things going on in the world at that time yeah, yeah. kind of like a like a setting up like don't look up um that that sort of style <laughs> movie a satire about something in the world going on so anyway robert downey jr minus 125 um you you know me i i think walking out of the theater i thought he won and then i saw killers of the flower moon and my first thought was, damn, De Niro. Like, I haven't seen him have this much fun in a role since Meet the, Meet the Parents, probably. Yeah. Um, and so I think De Niro at three to one is fine. And I, I say it. that I think the, the De Niro three to one is fine as a safety valve. Yes. Because I do think De Niro, or De Niro I think Downey Jr. is the deserving winner. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But, but De Niro, yeah. He was so good. I think we can agree that Robert De Niro was on next level De Niro. Oh, yeah. It was sort of that classics, not 70s De Niro, because that's when he was young, but like that sort of in the in the 90s when he was in like the movie Heat, where he yes. just felt, felt just in control of what was going on in the film. And he sort of knew how to put on that face when he's sitting there and talking to all the people in the town, like, we're going to fund who was going to find all of these people. Like my, you know, my favorite part of that, of De Niro in the movie was when he was walking to the sister. Um, and then he did like the whole thing and the camera panned out. That was a great, great decision by Scorsese. Um, that was my favorite De Niro scene of the entire movie because it was just like, he's, he takes the hat off. He's like brushing his hair back. And then he, he'd screaming, you know, all these chants. It was just, something you don't really see from him especially at the age that he's at now right. and i yeah. think it was wonderful to, to watch so yeah, he was, watch he, out downey yeah but he's great but i mean i think the fact that de niro actually has multiple oscars already a lot of this again comes down to like are they due and robert downey jr well really well known in the hollywood world obviously his well liked uh, too robert yep. downey and well liked very charismatic he's gonna turn it on on the oscar circuit and I think it's it's right for him to be um, one of the favorites just because the seeing him go from Iron Man into this particular role where he did that for so long, being a character that was a superhero now being, you know, being able to to put on the actor hat and actually sort of explore the space. And I, just it's so interesting in the film where he goes from being sort of that, you know, uh, you know, the longing kind of character at Oppenheimer about being great. And he's just this lowly sort of um, educator um, in when he when he met, first met him because he was, I believe, head of the something at Yale or something. And then going into this sort of conniving political, you know, powerhouse was so interesting to see him make that turn and really just sort of, again, you saw the Oscar speech, you saw the Oscar clip uh, in that movie. Yep. So 100%. Well, you saw a couple of them. 
You oh, saw a couple oh. of them. And, and, yeah. and the, way the, the way it ended, too, even when um, his right-hand man is just, like, giving up on him and he's about to go answer all the, the media press. Just that little, like, he's just like, all right, like, let's go do this. That, right. that was like, tremendous. It was, I will say Gosling worries me, though, at plus 450. Kind of just lurking there. Yeah, I wish the odds were more seven to one. I'd probably be like, oh, go go get Gosling now. Uh, just because, again, the two bobs are just like, you know, for anyone who's outside of these two bobbies, it's going to be tough for me to take anything with short odds. I think plus 450 for Gosling is about as far as I'll go. Maybe four to one. I, anything lower than that, I, I, I don't think I want to take Gosling over Downey Jr. or De Niro, mainly because I think... I think they're too strong. So for me, Gosling, I would take, but I think I would only take him because he could win. Um, yeah. yeah, everyone loves him in Barbie. I yeah. personally don't have him that high in my rank. I think I have him like 10 or whatever, but it's Gosling, it's Barbie. People love it. Plus 450, it's like, you know what? Maybe if you, know, if you don't go De Niro, you want another safety valve, maybe you go plus 450 with Gosling. But for me, I just think De Niro is is too strong, and then Downey is just even stronger than that. Yeah, and the only thing that that sort of worries me about taking De Niro or Gosling is that they're they're not really campaigning very hard uh, for their roles, which is you know is part of it. Downey Jr. is doing kind of everything. He did Actors on Actors with Mark Ruffalo, which we'll talk about when Poor Things finally comes out, and we can talk sure. about it. But um, of all these people that I'm worried about, I am worried about Mark Ruffalo overtaking Robert Downey Jr., which is kind of funny because. The Hulk overtaking Iron Man, but uh, he's been out there. He's been out there doing all the press, all the good stuff, and the, I've heard he's been he's been really good. He's at plus five fifty, which, if I sort of just blind took somebody, I would maybe look at Ruffalo at plus five fifty based on the number and based on what uh, effort he's putting into it. But I think we're all kind of in consensus that we think Downey Jr. is going to win, but we have to look out for all the other guys like De Niro and Gosling. So, so do you take the ticket on Downey at minus one twenty five right now? Right now, I would say yes, because I believe he's going to start winning. I mean, but if I had a, if I put money right now on something that's plus money, I would actually go Mark Ruffalo at the moment. Plus I think that's team. fair. I think, I think that's fair. Um, when poor things comes out, whoo, we'll finally run into your bookie. Yeah, run to oh, your bookie. Yeah. Poor things, color purple. There's quite a few movies um, that you're maestro that you're going to want to watch almost immediately if you're betting uh, this yeah. event and because the, the odds are going to change quicker than you know so sure. get to the movie get early screenings if possible i got an early screening the boy inherent um and i can go ahead and tell you right now it's at least to me not at you know 97 percent rotten tomato quality you know it's just not exactly. best picture nomination so you want to get to these films early if possible early screenings are ways to go uh see these early um, and I think poor things is probably at least for the best supporting market, best supporting actor market. You know, it, it's a big one because you have William Defoe in there as well. And right. so now you have two guys in poor things, Ruffalo which is, and Defoe, which, is, which isn't always good for if they both get nominated, then they start taking votes away. From Others them, out. Which, exactly. Which is what you don't want to do because preferential ballots. So let's get to a supporting actress really quick. So that's Emily Blunt is nominated. Well, she's not. Uh, we have to preface that when we talk about these, they are not nominated yet but they're probably going to be nominated. So Emily Blunt is at plus 450. She's like set, like third or fourth on the odds board behind yeah. uh, Joy Randolph for the holdovers and Danielle Brooks for the color purple, who's currently the, you know, odds on, you know, she's plus 135. So what do we feel about Blunt? I feel like a lot of people are saying that she wasn't doing enough in the film. I feel like she only has like really one, she has one very awesome Oscar speech or monologue or moment, but I think she does well in the movie, but again, I think she's not doing enough to win this category, but um, what do you think, Tom? Well, I think the two names ahead of her are two women who are in movies that came out later in the year. So, you know, for me, it would make a lot of sense to, to have Emily Blunt at the front of the pack until the end of the year. And then you view some of these movies and you say, okay, now comparing Blunt to, you know, Rosamund Pike and Saltburn. Okay, she takes the cake over that one comparing her to, um, you know, even maybe some lesser known movies, like if I pull up my rankings right here, like Rito Arai, you know, like someone who's really good, but, you know, is not going to get a nomination. Maybe, you know, Allison, Rachel McAdams, I think is a great example. So, you know, that movie came out earlier this year. You say, okay, Emily Blunt, Rachel McAdams, 
Emily Blunt's going to get the nod over Rachel McAdams. Right. Now all these contenders are coming out. Yeah. The holdovers, the color purple, May, December, Nyad. So now you're starting to have more supporting actresses that can threaten Emily Blunt. And I think what we're starting to see now is we both like Joy Randolph over yeah. Emily Blunt. If the color purple is as good as we both think it's going to be, I think you might see not just one, but two actresses maybe jump Emily Blunt. With that said, she's she was the favorite for most of the year for a reason. So she's going to get nominated. At plus 450 for Oppenheimer's Best Supporting Actress, I think that's fine in taking. Now, I, again, I think Joy Randolph is winning. So yeah. if, you, if you're saying, Tom, you only have one bet in this market, where's it going? It's going Joy Randolph at plus 160. I agree with but that. But I, I do think if you want value, I think Emily Bond's fine. And I think plus 450 is, is perfectly fair uh, for where she probably is going to be once nominated in terms of the top five rankings. Sure. Yep, I would agree with that. So um, we all like Joy Randolph in that category. So we can kind of jump past Best Supporting Actress. I think we we all know how we feel about Emily Blunt. So now let's get into the more interesting sort of parts of, I think, the Academy Awards for Oppenheimer, where it's a little bit more sort of up in the air. So let's get to screenplay. So this will be in adapted screenplay since it's adapted from American Prometheus. Um, I actually walked by the uh, American Prometheus book at Target. And everyone said it's a big book. And I finally looked at it. I was like, nope, not reading that book. Um, it's super, super thick. So, I mean, if you want to, <laughs> go ahead. But uh, I'll just watch the movie a, a, for a, a fifth time, I guess. But right now <laughs> on Variety, they have American fiction. And these are now categories that don't have odds out yet, which is actually a little bit more interesting for us because then we get to speculate a little bit more. But right now, Variety has American fiction as one of their uh, possible nominees. Uh, Barbie, an adapted screenplay, although we've talked about this before, that it might go in original screenplay, because I believe they're actually trying to campaign it for original screenplay. You know, I, I actually, I actually moved it um, yeah. to original. You know, yeah. I've, been, I've been vying for it as adapted. And right. then I came to the realization that I have Tetris in original, and mm -hmm. that's a game. So I said, you know what, game toy. I should probably move Barbie over to right. original. So yeah, right now they have Barbie. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put it in there because we said it was original when we first talked about <laughs> it. So Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things are in their top five. So how do you think this is gonna fare in this category? Because usually we've said in a pat in the past that typically the best adapt the best adapted screenplay or best screenplay uh, usually goes to like the second best movie sort of as a thanks for making a really good movie, but it's not entirely the best movie of the year. So how do you think this will fall in this category? <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of like a second place trophy yeah. category uh, in a way. But I do think Oppenheimer's going to win. I, I do think it was the best screenplay. You know, when you map out the movie in words, that's kind of how you have to view the screenplay category is what you've seen on screen. Now just pretend it's a book. And then how does that translate with you? And I think Oppenheimer for me is the winner. I think the only two really that come close is Spider-Man and Killers of the Flower Moon. Sure. Um, and again, these are just based on what's been released. I can't sit here and tell you about American fiction because I haven't seen American fiction yet. Exactly. It hasn't come out. So I think for now, Oppenheimer is safe at one. It's a loaded category. I think Barbie's going to original screenplay. I just I have a feeling that's where the Academy is going to lump them, yeah. um, especially since they're campaigning for it. So give me Oppenheimer for now as the best adapted screenplay, but I do think Killers of the Flower Moon and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse are two contenders. And then everyone else right now falls, I would say, substantially short. Things like Blackberry, things like The Killer, things like Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, things like Nyad, yep. things like The Burial. So, For sure. No, yeah, I, I agree. I just think you, we've had so... So the good thing about Oppenheimer coming out in, in July... And I think they're going to have to figure out how to make Oscar season the entire year. Uh, but these whole, like, let's release it in November and December actually does not do well for the current way yeah. that we watch movies. Like, we want these movies in streaming. We want to be able to watch them. Because you're now able to watch Barbie and Oppenheimer on digital. You can buy them now and watch them if you want, which I think is big for people wanting to see it at home, kind of refresh. I think it's a big deal. But you can't refresh if the movie comes out in December. But anyways, so Oppenheimer, I've heard so many stories about how Christopher Nolan wrote this in the first person, which is very rare for when you make movies for screenplays, which I think that's a stylistic thing that's important and it you know comes through in the movie. So I think that's important. 
I've heard that Killers of the Flower Moon is based on, it's actually based on how the FBI did like search down who did all these killings for the Osage Nation. And they totally changed what what the focus was. So I think that might be a, going against Killers of the Flower Moon because they basically ended up just using the story, but, you know, changing the focus. Every, yeah, but I mean, exactly. it's, it's, that's why it's adapted. Uh, Poor Things kind of scares me a little bit just because it is based on a very popular book. But it could be original. I've actually seen it forecasted for both. And I think the reason for that is because it's not, it's a completely different story than the book is what I'm hearing. And I think that also applies to The Boy and the Heron is that the film was made completely separate from the book that was in existence. So past lives actually is like Barbie, Brian, where we're not really sure which which screenplay it's going to go. It could be adapted, but it could also be original. So I think besides Barbie, past lives also is going to be uh, one of these screenplays where we're wondering where the hell it's going to end up uh, by the yeah. time nominations yeah, are released. Yeah, because right now I am seeing past lives in original screenplay. Um, but in adapted too, right? I mean, it's kind uh, of... I don't see it in adapted, but obviously they also have Barbie flipped up as well. So kind of up in the air at this moment but i think i don't know i think past lives will get nominated because people love that movie um i don't think it's one of the better movies of the year uh i think it's really good and it has a really interesting story i totally connect with the story because it's I, all like online dating and i think it's sweet yeah like it's, it's a very sweet, sweet movie nice. it's a very good answer yeah but i just think somebody wants to nominate uh, selena's song and something so i, I think it'll be that. nominated so I don't know. Adapted screenplay, I think, is going to be really fun to watch this year just because there are so many contenders and how we know they historically vote. So I just kind of see like Oppenheimer at the top of a mountain with like fencing off these other movies with a sword, like just like the, yeah. these other adapted screenplays are coming for it. And it's just like, no, get off. You know, I'm, I'm the top dog here. And I just it's just been that for the whole for the whole year. So it's hard for me to be like, well, American fiction is going to knock Oppenheimer off its perch. I mean, realistically, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, uh, I don't see what's looks, coming out that's going to knock it off its perch. Yeah, like American Fiction, I've seen the previews to it, and it looks really funny. It looks like a really funny, like, satirical movie about how, you know, sometimes you just, you know, buy in and end up being, you know, <laughs> what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you sell out, and then it ends up just becoming your life. But anyways, uh, it's sort of a comedic base, which I think is is important for screenplays. But I don't know. I agree with you. There's no like Harvey Weinstein, like a like a somebody who knows how to manipulate the Oscar system out there to sort of mess up Oppenheimer, who is the favorite. So I, I would agree with you on that as well. So and to that, I'm actually want to give a shout out to um, oh God, what was that movie last year with uh, Carrie Mulligan and oh, uh, about um, Har- the Harvey Weinstein stuff? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, she said. She said, yeah, I was stunned that didn't get one nomination wow. last year. I thought that was um, a shame, quite frankly. So, oh, yeah. And I think it, a lot that. of it had it's to do with... It's a great movie. I think a lot Weinstein. of it had to, It was fantastic. I think a lot yeah. of it had to do with the subject matter. It exactly. Too, too close to the Academy, obviously. So. Well, shame on them. But, right. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move on to some of the below-the-line categories, like production design, uh, hair and makeup, costumes. Let's start with production design. So okay. right now... We have it's, you know, a couple of the contenders would be Oppenheimer along with Poor Things, Napoleon, which I think is an interesting thing that I think it might be knocked out of the production design, but Kills of the Flower Moon and Barbie. So those are kind of the big contenders, the big, the big words out there. Um, How'd you feel about Oppenheimer's production design? Uh, I think it should be noted that they only used real locations. So there were no sets built. Um, well, technically, um, they actually built an entire town of Los Alamos. Um, and for them to do That's that, right. they actually they actually had to cut down, I think, 15 shooting days, like 15 or 20 shooting days um, in the budget so they can build the entire town. So they had to be extremely efficient. And uh, I think it, you know, it came through. So um, how do you feel they did on production design and what do you think its chances are against the other contenders? Oh, I have it in, I have it in the top five. Um, I don't have it at number one though. Actually I have Napoleon uh, at the top okay. and I also have Barbie killers of the flower moon asteroid city. Um, I think Oppenheimer could easily top asteroid city and killers of the flower moon. I think it could top Napoleon, even though I have it at number one. Uh, I think Barbie is really where you start to see the competition a little bit. I think yeah. a, a good dark horse in this category, 
there's a few. I think Holdovers and Saltburn would probably be mm-hmm. like my one, two. Saltburn, that's, that's a good choice there. Yeah, I, I, Saltburn was, man, and they go all over the place. I mean, they go to the estate, they go to the university, um, they go outside the university to the kid's house. So I think, you know, for me, it's a crowded category, but I think it's one Oppenheimer does see a nomination in. Whether it wins it or not, I think it's going to be very difficult. I think, I think Barbie's probably going to take it. Um, but it wouldn't be surprised for me to see Napoleon, Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, Flower Moon or Asteroid City get nominations. We've talked about Asteroid City before, um, that it's probably strongest category to get a nomination at this, you know, Oscars would be production design. So sure. I think it's a crowded category. I think Oppenheimer does enough to get nominated. I think it might have done enough to win. Um, I just think, you know, Barbie for me is the big threat. And then there's a few other stragglers that uh, will be in consideration as well. Yeah, it really looks it really goes to what do you want out of this category? Do you want something that's very real and visceral and has that sort of that texture in it, which I think Oppenheimer does? It it goes to my palette. I really, really enjoy uh, the way Nolan's movies are made and how they look. They have a very specific style and I enjoy that. But if you want something a little bit more done up, really built up, and really sort of a nod to that old 1950s um, studio look, which I think Barbie really does really well with building Barbie land. Uh, I think then maybe you lean towards Barbie because I think they did a fantastic job building yeah. all of like Barbie's dream house and making it look um, the way it does. And when they change from going from Barbie world to the real world and how that whole transformation that makes it look very, um, very uh, uh, like techni- like technicolory and sort of, you know, um, like oversaturated colors, I think is good. So I think it really goes to what your tastes are. So yeah. again, I I like Oppenheimer because of my taste, but I can definitely see Barbie overthrowing it. And um, we'll have to see how poor things comes out because again, it looks like that one's going to have very interesting style choices made uh, in that film. Yeah, poor things would surprise me with the production design. There's no there's no elaboration to me there. And then I look at you know with Napoleon. Um, I mean. golly they go everywhere i feel you know you know the just the difference between moscow also when they finally get there in the Mm. film as opposed to you know being in france you know and the you know the beginning with you know the beheading of uh, marie antoinette it 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 goes through so much history quickly granted that was kind of a lot of his a lot of french history people had a had a lot of issues with they said it's funny because it's a two and a half hour movie and it was like, for some people, oh, that's way too long. And then the historians watch the film, they say they didn't spend enough time on the history of the movie. Yeah, and exactly. so it's kind of funny, but they do go through it. And I think the production design Napoleon, as they go through time, as they go through countries, and as Napoleon kind of goes through different roles um, as well, the dining room table, then he's getting married, uh, then he's in his bedroom in his courts. Um, I, I think for me, Napoleon does a really good job of um, the production design. I don't know if it's though enough to topple Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer to me is going to be top three, I think. Now I have Napoleon at number one, mm-hmm. um, but I do think Oppenheimer, when it hears its name announced on nominations, because it will for production design, um, I do think it's probably going to have favored odds. If not favored odds, Barbie will be the favored odds. And then from there, we'll see what the best play yeah. is uh, and see who has the value. No, I think when it comes down to that, when you start getting into those top three, because uh, I do think Napoleon, I think whenever you do like anything with like the French royalty or the French Revolution era and you can get it right, uh, it really just looks cool. It looks like the attention to detail was in it. You can't really fake what it looks like or else it looks cheesy. But I do agree that it looked really great. Um, I do have some notes on the movie itself um <laughs> i just thought I, moscow for me was like the selling point of the production design and it looks so different Napoleon, than what you would think right. moscow would look like you're like oh this place is desolate for sure <laughs> um but i don't know i i want a little bit more out of napoleon because i love ridley I scott and i love gladiator and like those big scenes were very gladiator-esque but we're actually kind of missing something for me but we won't get into it today but uh napoleon's a very interesting uh interesting movie for sure so, what about so and real quick we did talk about the holdovers already and we you, you would we would agree there though even though we love the settings that brought you that 1970s northeastern american feel not top five for you not nomination not enough to, to threaten oppenheimer it, it would have to be spread. definitely sort of a surprise to jump in just because there's so many big movies that are ahead of it 
like yeah. even like Maestro is going to be interesting to see. Wonka is actually in there in yeah. uh, like next in line and it's been well received, which was actually a surprise because everyone was hating the movie before it came out and then it came out and they liked it. Uh, Color Purple, Ferrari, Asteroid Color City, purple. a yeah. lot of heavy hitters this year. So it, I don't think it's going to be able to get there, but um, I do enjoy the look and feel of the holdover. So as we quickly go through it, we actually skipped one of the bigger categories and that is cinematography. So cinematography uh hoitema van hoitema i'm learning how to say his name totally <laughs> killed it on that pronunciation i got it right away Good job. um he is the favorite I, I, I it's not up yet but he'll probably be the favorite just because a lot of nolan movies end up being the favorite again we talked about at nauseum how it was shot in imax which is a huge thing for the academy that you shot it for a movie theater um i think he's rightly the favorite a couple yep. other probables are killers of the flower moon uh, Ferrari, Saltburn, Zone of Interest. Those are a couple yep. of the movies that are currently listed as Oppenheimer. Top. It's Oppenheimer, Brian. I, I think so too. I, ju- yeah. I, I, I think we don't have to say any more, anything more than that. Well, real quickly though, just yeah. for this category, we've I've brought this up before. I want to point it out. These cinematography nerds. It's I can say nerds because I'm a nerd. Sure. These cinematography nerds that vote on best cinematography love movies that utilize black and white <laughs> cinematography they love it they loved mank plus 450 best cinematography underdog ends up winning the whole movie was in black and white someone told me this and i thought there's no that's not one thing to base it it's a real thing folks and oppenheimer black and white in not the whole movie but i think the usage of the black and white um when when was the time to use it I thought Nolan did an excellent job, which would go to film editing as well. So yeah, Oppenheimer, yeah, best cinematography, lock it up. Yeah, and and again, using the black and white as a story structure, sort of like yes. um, how they used it in the movie, uh, like Schindler's List, going back even further, that they yep. wanted to shoot it in black and white to give it that antiquated feel to it. And then obviously, uh, the child with the red uh, jacket was sort of a big part of that film that really yep. put it all together of why it was in black and white. There is a reason why it was shot in black and white. If you ever listen to um, Nolan speak about this film, it was to sort of differentiate what was objective and what was subjective in the Oppenheimer story. So things that were uh, subjective or objective, I always forget the usage, but coming from Oppenheimer's point of view was in color. And if it was subjective, I believe um, <laughs> now I'm using this, the words wrong, but if it was strictly like on paper, like, you know, that was actually noted uh, it was in black and white. So a lot of the hearings were in black and white because that actually was said uh, a lot of Oppenheimer stuff is, you know, obviously in color, but uh, really it's used to show the point of view of the character as well as the story structure. So again, uh, I like that I, point. I, it's a good I think point. it's, cinematography i think they've been talking about it so much that it's hard for oppenheimer not to win in this category so with that let's go to uh film editing since we just mentioned it um how do you feel it's going to stand up because usually best picture movies that win best picture tend to win best film editing as well which right now it looks like it is at at the favorite uh or one of the favorites so oppenheimer it should be um then we also have killers of the flower moon which i think is rightfully so thelma schoonemaker who's been the editor for Martin Scorsese for ever since I can remember watching Martin Scorsese pictures. Uh, They also have Barbie. They have Air in there and Maestro. I think Air might be not, I don't think so. But Barbie is also in the mix for this one. So what do you see in film editing? I have Barbie and Air pretty low in my rankings. Um, I have Oppenheimer 1, Saltburn 2, Killers of the Flower Moon 3, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse 4, I think it's interesting that a lot of the action movies are um, getting a lot of love in film editing. I've seen Mission Impossible on some forecasts. I've seen John Wick Chapter 4 in some forecasts as well. Yeah. I've seen Creed 3 as well. It's just interesting that some of these um, fast-paced movies, uh, per se, are, uh, are getting some love here in the film editing. I think Oppenheimer's fine. I think it's going to win um, when yeah. you watch this film kind of goes hand in hand with the cinematography that we've been talking about with this movie the 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 specifics that Christopher Nolan and the extra mile he's gone through um you know for these movies to be played in certain theaters is like a love for the art that the academy is going to you know really really appreciate i think it just stands out to me over a lot of these films i think killers of the flower moon and spider-man across the spider-verse would be 
again, the two. It just seems like these are the three heavyweights in yeah. most categories, Oppenheimer, Killers, and Spider-Man. Um, I do think Saltburn has a chance to see nomination in this, but I don't think it has a chance to win. I, I for one, think Oppenheimer is probably going to see very, very long odds and probably close around something near minus 400, minus 500. Would be I would agree guess. with that, especially yeah. if it's going to be, it's minus 125 right now to win Best Picture. And again, yeah. this award is typically correlated. So you can kind of, if you're looking at the math, you kind of want to get on both of these at the same time if you can. Yeah. But um, for me, the reason Oppenheimer is probably going to win in the best film editing category is that really just the Trinity test. So watching the, you know, the buildup to the, to the bomb dropping to them, you know, worried about if it's going to go off or not worried about if they're going to, you know, mess up the, um, the, the test itself, if they're going to implode the atmosphere and then the rain that comes into it. And then they're like just this anticipation that's built up and everybody's waiting in the theater. Everybody's waiting for this thing to go off. And once it goes off silent, there's just mm -hmm. no sound, which it goes to the sound. I think, and you know, for me, so I just got out of a screening of, I've said this a couple of times, I gotta stop saying it. I got, I saw the boy, the heron. To me, the sound was the standout. And I actually have it number two right now, right ahead of American Symphony, great documentary on Netflix, by the way. Excellent. Mm -hmm. um, but number one's Oppenheimer. And you've brought this up a lot, um, that sometimes you can even use the silence of sound yeah. to your benefit for best sound. A few years ago, um, what was the oh, Quiet, movie? No, Riz Ahmed, where he's a uh, deaf drummer. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, sound of Metal. Sound of Metal. Different sound of music, yeah. <laughs> different sound of music. But the Sound of Metal, um, Sound of Metal with Riz Ahmed, they won Best Sound. And it was, I think, a lot of the silence that they used in that film uh, to their benefit in terms of the sound editing and sound mixing. So sometimes the silence... Um, that is used by filmmakers in their movies and their storytellings actually works for best sound, which is weird because there's no sound in silence. Uh, it's just silence. There's, there's no sound. But, you know, being able to almost DJ, you know, when sound comes in and out or not, yeah. that is an art. And that's something Oppenheimer does better than any movie this year. 100%. So where do you think it's going to sit in sound? So I'm trying oh, to pull as the favorite. Together. 100. Be, right? Let me, yeah, let me pull up my rankings because I got them right here. So Oppenheimer, I, I mentioned The Boy and the Heron, number two, and American Symphony, number three. Then I have Killers of the Flower Moon. The Killer, I think, has a really good chance at best sound. Oh, yeah. It's, again, it mm -hmm. uses silence very well. David Fincher is just really crisp with the sound, and I think he does a great job. And you get these, these, these animated movies coming in. Wish, Elemental, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I think you're, you might see, I think you might see two animated movies get nominated for best sound, but they're all going to lose. It's Oppenheimer, and I think that market will probably close at minus four digits. Yeah, I just just the way that it's used in the Trinity test is a big deal. I think some people may have had a. I had I went with somebody um, uh, the first time I watched it, the the film guy that I told you about, and he's interesting because he thought that the sound actually was not very good, like the mixing, just because sometimes the music would be a little bit more than the um, actual spoken word, which I actually figured out why that was. It's because they actually don't have a playback for when they actually, and they don't do uh, the re-recordings. I forget what it's called. Um, dub. They don't dub anything on Nolan movies. So everything is what it was like on set that day, which is why the mixing might be a little bit different, but it didn't, it, it didn't stand out for me that that was a problem, but the only one that I think might come in and actually like swoop in on this award is Maestro just because so much of that. Yeah, movie, for sure. Just so much about that movie is about the orchestra the way that it sounds, obviously, the music and how it all goes together. So that's the only one kind of lurking out there in this category that I, think I, I will say, I, I will say, um, I think American Symphony is if it, it, I think it's something to watch if it gets nominated. And this will I'll get a little bit into this now since it is relevant. Um, I want to save a lot of this for when we talk about Barbie and the best original songs. But this guy, Jean Baptiste, man. Yeah. is a stud of a, I mean, he is a powerhouse. And I didn't really, because I don't watch the Colbert show. He was the right. band leader for yeah. Stephen Colbert for a long time. Um, he got, Brian, he got nominated for 11 Grammys, wow. which is insane. No. And so I think him being on any ticket, whether any category, best sound, best original song, I think John Batiste is a under the radar powerhouse name 
to a lot of the voters in these sound and music categories. And we'll get into why when we discuss Barbie. But I do think American Symphony is, an, is, is something you need to watch for sound and song. But sound we're talking about now. And then Boy and the Heron. I'm telling you, the sound stood out more than the animation uh, or just as much as the animation. So those would be two that I absolutely want to throw in for best sound uh, that could swoop in, um, as you had alluded to. Yeah. So let's move on to score. So this is the one where I think it's going to sort of, I think it's going to dominate, but you might have a little bit different. Wow. Just because everyone just has fallen, at least on film Twitter, has fallen in love with Ludwig Gorgensen. Um, and his score for this film, which I believe he's worked with, uh, he's worked with uh, Nolan before. Uh, but he, so this is like through the list. So Oppenheimer, uh, Kills of the Flower Moon, American Fiction, Origin, which I'm not aware of that movie, unfortunately. It's getting a lot of buzz, Origin, from what I'm mm. reading. Yeah. And then uh, Society of the Snow as well. So I've, oh, nice. um, I've been seeing stuff about Society of the Snow, and that looks very interesting to me. It does, so, yeah. Um, what did you think of the score? Do you think it added to the movie at all? Um, oh, yeah. How important was it to the film? You know, so on and so forth. Oh, yeah. It's, I have it, too, behind Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think they're 1A, 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 1B. Um, for me, Killers of the Flower Moon that that just like throughout is uh, oh just, yeah, it's just it feels like so impending good. doom, which it is does. what it feels like, and it's the one tone that is recognizable throughout the film, much like last year's winner, All Quiet on the on the uh, Western Front. I think Oppenheimer though is one or two. Uh, if it opens as a heavy favorite though, um, I don't know if I would agree with that. I think this is going to be something. I think this is one of the categories where you're going to see the favorite at near even value entering. Okay. Uh, I think honestly, this might be a category where you see two at minus value, where you see like a minus one twenty five favorite and then a minus one oh five, you know, second favorite here. I think it's going to be between Killers and Oppenheimer. I think Spider Man, The Boy and the Heron, two really good animated films with great crisp sound and scores. They're also going to be right there as well. Um, after that, I really don't know. I think Asteroid City has a pretty good chance to get nominated, but not win. The same with Past Lives, Saltburn, The Holdovers, Rustin, Nyad. These are all movies with great scores. Yeah, Might get nominated. Nothing's touching Oppenheimer or Killers as far as I'm concerned, though. Do you think Spider-Man sneaks in? Uh, they oh, have yeah. them currently on their sixth out of the five uh, predicted categories. I think it sneaks in. Yeah, I do. My my worry is, is again, the boy in the hair now that it's out. And I, I, I really can't emphasize enough how good the sound i mean look this is a movie that's getting 97 percent on rotten tomatoes this is a movie that's getting best original screenplay forecasts and best picture as an animated film and to me coming out of that film was the sound and the score and so i really do feel that that the boy and the heron as i look at award to watch.com has that number 10 right now for best score spider-man's number three elementals four Again, I think these sound categories with some of these animated movies, I haven't even gotten a wish yet, which is a, yeah. a, a musical uh, animation movie. Um, I think a lot of these animated films might really you know, sink their teeth into these sound categories and take a lot of uh, nominations away. But I don't think it's going to come from Oppenheimer or Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, as I look at awardwatch.com, they have Oppenheimer 1 and Killers of the Flower Moon number 2. So I think the threat of these animated movies won't matter. I think Oppenheimer uh, is is safe, safely nestled at one or two. Yeah. So I think we've covered most of them. I think the only one we haven't done is uh, costume and hair and makeup. Um, currently for costume, um, Oppenheimer is sitting in sixth out of the top five. So yeah, certainly could maybe sneak in. It's definitely very period pieces. Um, I don't think it's going to take over like Barbie, Poor Things, Killers of the Flower Moon. I just think it's funny that Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer are kind of similar in terms of time frame. I mean, I believe uh, Kill, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon is like the 1920s or 1910s, something around that time. Um, wait, I, I am getting, though, a little I'm getting a little irritated that I'm not seeing they clone Tyrone on either costume <laughs> designs or hairstyle makeup designs because it is fantastic. I mean, it is some of the best work you will ever see. Um, now with that said, Oppenheimer at six is on awardwatch.com as well. So them and variety kind of match here. I, uh, I really don't have Oppenheimer anywhere near the top of my costume design rankings. I think if between these two categories, it's easily hairstyle makeup. And I would argue that it's probably going to win, uh, hairstyle makeup if Barbie doesn't, you know, come in and just dethrone it. Cause Barbie is number one in, I would say costume design right now. So, yeah. So in costume design, currently this is sitting outside of the 
predicted list. Uh, I think it'll be I think it'll be tough again. Poor Things does have a lot of different uh, like prosthetics and such. Like William Defoe in the previews is wearing a prosthetic. Um, same thing with uh, Emma Stone. She's gonna have um, different things going on in the movie itself as well. Same thing with Mark Ruffalo. Uh, also, Maestro is on here, which he had to wear quite quite a few uh, prosthetics in that film as well. So. I think it's I interesting know. that Napoleon and, uh, oh God, Chevalier, Cheval- yeah. Chevalier, Chevalier, Chevalier. I think it's interesting those two are eight and 10 on the rankings because they're very similar. In it. It's about the French Revolution. Funny, yeah. um, it's the same time period. So it's almost like it's almost like we're all thinking the same thing. One of these two period pieces, we don't know which, because it's like flipping a coin, is probably going to get the costume design. And they have Napoleon head a, a little bit ahead. And I think that's fair because it's just a bigger movie. It's a well more known movie. Ridley Scott, Joaquin Phoenix, Vanessa Kirby. It's just much more in your face. And then, uh, not Oppenheimer, Wonka. I think Wonka is kind of that could go either way and could really and could really affect the rankings of these costume designs. Definitely. So I think we've hit all the categories. It was a longer episode. This is probably going to be just for everybody listening. If you still are listening, uh, this will probably be one of our longest episodes just because. Oppenheimer is going to be in so many categories and we really tried to hit every single one, um, which I know can be extensive, but um, I think we're, I think we're all good. Any final thoughts, Tom on Oppenheimer? Uh, Not really other than uh, go watch it if you haven't seen it and uh, take the minus value for some of the, like it's worth it. Uh, It's going to win a lot. So minus 120, 125, don't be afraid. I think when you start seeing a little bit north of minus 150, that's when you back off, like knowing that minus 200. So it's too much. Yeah, yeah, but I'm finally happy this year. Hopefully, the movie that was my favorite of the year will finally win at the Academy Awards. <laughs> what will you do, Brian, when uh, the first animated movie wins Best Picture this year? Um, gonna... I'll, 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 I'll tip my cap to you. Once it happens, I'll tip my cap and say you <laughs> they did won't. it. But they I mean, I don't look, a guy can dream, man. right? Yeah, a guy. I mean, a Lion King and Be- uh, Beauty and the Beast didn't win their years, so I mean, those are the, probably some of the better movies ever made and animated. But uh, that's just me. Uh, but I mean, we'll see how it goes, but again, thank you so much, everybody for listening to box office bets. I'm Brian. That's Tom. Uh, again, make sure to listen to us for any of our latest, you know, um, leans or some of our best bets for the Oscars. And again, you can follow us on any of our socials. Tom's is at underscore T J K C underscore for any trends you might have. And then mine's Brian Ortega LV for anything that I might be going on in my life. So anyways, (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for listening to Box Office Bets. Have a great day.